Today's episode is brought to you by us here at Call to Action Podcast with Dimension Software. Our team puts in a lot of work into each episode from researching, reaching out, connecting, scheduling the guests to preparing the interview and filming, recording, and the post-production work so that by the time it hits your ears, it's an enjoyable experience for you, our amazing listeners. Some have asked us how you can show support. And I tell them it's quite simple and takes less than a minute of your time. Tap that subscribe button on whatever platform you listen on. Leave a comment for all the YouTubers watching or leave a quick review on Apple Podcast or whichever platform allows for them. And guess what? If you like what we're doing, let us know. And if we completely suck, do similarly. We want honest feedback so that we can continually improve and evolve as our goal for the show is to be up there as one of the best if you want to learn more about what we do for our day job, visit our website, dimensionsoftware.com. We are a local software engineer and design firm in sunny Santa Monica, California. Our expertise is in custom Shopify e-commerce stores and native mobile app platforms for established companies and startups. We have a contact form on the site, or you can get in touch with us at hello at dimensionsoftware.com. We hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. Hit it. Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. That's why the Emmy, right? Brilliant. We won the Emmy as Fox Sports team covering the World Cup. Why? Because they said, oh, there are 32 teams on the you know pitch in the tournament, but the 33rd team is Russia itself, and nobody knows anything about it. So they spend endless hours covering the players, the teams, but the, the, one of the major players, the country where this is all happening, nobody knows anything about. So they turn to Nat Geo, and they, they go to Nat Geo, and they go, hey, who do you have on Russia? And like two sentences in, you know, the guy that I interviewed with, he's like, you gotta meet Sergey. He is an Emmy Award-winning on-air reporter for Fox Sports and National Geographic, where he hosted 46 features on the Russian culture for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. He's a news anchor, TV host, actor, voiceover artist, a professional Russian-English translator, has a master's degree in broadcasting from the prestigious Columbia School of Journalism. As if that isn't enough, he's a jazz pianist and a composer, performing in New York for over 15 years. Herbie Hancock hires him for piano compositions. Michael Jackson was his dance student and enlightened monks seek meditation advice from our next guest. Please welcome Sergey Gordiev, aka an American Gordiev. Listen, I love I love the way you pronounce that like jazz penis. I'm like like yeah, make sure that T, put that T in there. Jazz penis. I'm trying. I'm Listen, trying. Well done. We have a mega communication artist on air right now with us. So I am trying my hardest to pronunciate and eloquently introduce you the you best great. as I can. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. But before we get started into your life story and incredible things you've been able to accomplish in your life and 
your story of coming from another country to here and pursuing your dreams and, and conquering them. We're going to put you through a prefrontal cortex warm up like you've never experienced. It's right. called the brain freeze frenzy. Okay. It's a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? So the rules are just like you, you quickly answer as quickly as possible. Precisely. All right. Yeah. Let's do this. First one. What is one positive thing you can say about yourself today? I uh, rock because I'm up for anything. I had this is actually my third interview today. Wow! What were the other two? Uh, the first was uh, I went live for Russian television to talk about just an update from New York. The second one was an uh, Instagram live uh, interview about uh, conflict resolution. So we talked about how to use communication to lessen and resolve conflict in your life. Wow! Yeah, that's incredible, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your kick-ass morning routine. What gets you really started in the morning? Look, there is, there is what I should be doing and there is what I was doing this morning, which are totally two different things. But, I mean, look, um, your morning, each morning is a gift. Each morning is a miracle, right? Like when, you know, how they say, like, in, in spirituality, I'm a very spiritual person, so I, I apologize in advance to those who may find it a little bit much, but it's just what I am, it's who I am, it's my life. I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So um, so here we go. I said it, that's how I live. So, um, you know, when, when we, uh, you know, when, when, when God or the universe, when, when, when the spirit is restored in your body in the morning already, you're starting with a miracle, right? So I start my morning under, like rejoicing in that. I'm like, wow, cool. I get a gift of another day on this earth, in this form, this time around, this is awesome. So I just, Amen. I start with that thought, right? Um, then there is a little uh, spiritual kind of uh, book, little spiritual book. It's one of the seminal works in, in spirituality as we know it. It's called A Course in Miracles. And in The Course in Miracles, there, is a, uh, there are four questions with which they recommend you start your morning. Um, and you ask God or the universe or whoever, or yourself, you know, these four questions. What would you have, um, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom, right? So you start your morning with those, you, you're conscious, you woke up, right? You're like, you turned off the alarm. You're like, okay, those are the four questions. It's like you tune yourself right away into kind of alignment, right? So you go like, okay, you know, whatever it is that I do today will be the answer to these four questions. Where should I be going? What should I be doing? What should I be saying and to whom? With an overarching intention of whatever it is that you do today, to somehow make either yourself or this world, which is really the same thing, a better place. Wow, so, I love that. So That's I start amazing. With, I start them every morning with A, rejoicing in the miracle of waking up, which is a gift. Each day on this planet is a gift. It's not a given. A, a lot of people, you know, did not wake up today with that gift. They just didn't. We did, right? Especially in this time. I know. Like, we're in the, in the, in the coronavirus epidemic, you know, um... In New York City alone, 7,000 people have died already, and, and, and many more are dying every single day, right? So, you know, um, life should never be taken for granted, right? So, so, so when you wake up in the morning already, you know, if you start with this outpouring of gratitude, like this, this spontaneous combustion reaction of like, wow, miracle, gift, I get this, this is so awesome. Already it sets you up for a different kind of day if you didn't do that, right? Then then structure it in your consciousness with the four questions. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? You know, if you're a spiritual person like I am, then I trust that 
you know, the answers will come to me and will guide me throughout my day no matter what I do. And automatically what it also does, it gives you confidence that even there are things that will happen to you today, uh, you, will not, you might not understand them. You might not, they might not make sense to you. They might upset you. You know, they might be bad, you know, quote unquote, because I actually don't believe that there are, you know, bad things in your life. Everything is, you know, learning material. It's all material for growth and self-development. So basically, if you start with those four questions, you then, it helps you kind of tune into the, the, the attitude that whatever happens will be for your benefit. You or somebody else will learn from it or will grow from it or will be better from it. So you, you, you right away, you get yourself in the right mindset. That's, that's spiritually and just mentally. Then what I try to do every morning, I don't always get to because sometimes like, you know, emails and phone calls start pouring in. I start checking my phone. I see like what all the, you know, texts I've missed and all that stuff. But before I get to all that flood of information, you know, um, I try to meditate because um, meditation is not sort of like a woo-woo, whatever, you know, chant your chants and magic dances kind of thing. It actually is scientifically proven to optimize the work of your brain and your energy kind of uh, constitution for um, the most productive, the most um, uh, harmonious, balanced uh, and overall bettering, you know, for you kind of kind of operation, right? So, so meditation is huge. We can talk about it later. There, are, there are actual benefits. There are techniques. But I try to at least, you know, get five to ten uh, minutes of meditation in. It centers me. It balances me. It sets me up for a great, great day. Um, another thing I try, to, I try to, I try to hang because uh, physically I have um, um, a bar, uh, you know, and just if you hang, what you do is you, you get your spine aligned, you know, just kind of you get your kinks out and, and you just hang for, listen, for 30 seconds, you know, you, you're, you're getting the, the, the spinal fluids to flow, you're, you're, you're strengthening, you're lengthening your body, this uh, happens, and then uh, depending on the type of morning you have, then there are different things you can do to prepare for that. That's amazing. How are you hanging? Have you got some hardware for that? One of those chairs, perhaps? It's a it's a thing in the doorway um, that that hangs and it has it just hooks onto the um, the the whatever the the, the whatever it's called the, frame. the thing that the frame of the door. You hook it to the frame and you just it, it locks in and you hang from it. I just I literally just I jump up and hang from it. Well, this next question rolls right into something that I just had a thought of when you said that. What's one of the most embarrassing moments, mess ups on stage performing jazz, dance, or and or on air? Oh my God. Well, um <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Um listen. Oh. I mean I've had a few and and I've had uh, I mean I have cursed on air, which was not cool. Um, you know, it just oh, there was a what moment. What was it? What word? Um, it, it was on Russian television, and um, the <laughs> um, well enlightened us. Uh, it, it, it was it was actually super funny because um, the the league of the uh, big helmet, like there is a there is a sports you know sort of championship. There is a big helmet cup, you uh, know, okay. and the word for for helmet is schlem. The word for member, which is slang for like dick, is schlem, <laughs> and so. <laughs> So basically, instead of the, the the big helmet championship, I said the championship of the big dick. I mean, like that's that's what came out, and I just it just I misspoke. But then I started laughing, and I wouldn't stop. And they had to take they had oh to like God, go to other pictures, right you know, to like to yeah, just give me. I like exactly. I literally I laughed out loud so hard, like that I, I like I went sweating in my face, my makeup ran, and it was 
awful. You know, uh, there was that, and there was a couple of moments like when I was auditioning in New York. One time, I, um, you know, and like I said, everything is a learning experience. I lied. I lied that I was able to roller skate, and this was <laughs> oh, no. the worst. Like literally, I'm like. <laughs> Feeling the color in my cheeks, like I'm, I'm bursting in shame right now, just thinking about that moment. Uh, it was awful because, um, quite literally, like I was on. To say that I fell on my ass is is to say nothing, because it was actually for an audition um, uh, in uh, early 2000s. I um, <laughs> was quite a dancer. And I went to like Broadway auditions. I was at that point just really dreaming of, uh, of a career on Broadway, and, and I was really good. I went to the Alvin Ailey School. Uh, for you dance, are and, very um, good. I, I've seen you. Listen, I I I was really good. And so anyway, I uh, went to an audition for a Broadway show. It was called The Donkey Show. It was retelling of Miss Summer Night's Dream, um, uh, in a disco kind of era. And so I auditioned for, for, for the role of Dr. Wheelgood, right? And so it was like, I went, I, I had my like, it was disco, right? Disco. Neon green shorts, just picture it. I was, you know, like me, but like way younger and hotter. Anyway, so. <laughs> so That's impossible. And yet there I was, you know, neon green shorts, like tight clothes, <laughs> you know, just like doing my best excited. disco moves, wearing, you know, six I need inch platform beer. shoes. I was living it. I mean, so much so that um, I... Just like in the audition, the dance audition, I killed it. Killed it like, I mean, literally, they were just like, you come forth, like show everybody how it's done. And I did. Oh, I went to the callback. They were like, oh, dude, you're like it, right? So they actually had me come to the show on Broadway, like, and the dancers pulled me up on the stage. And I was like grooving with them, like literally, like I was just a shoe in for, this was a great like moment. I felt so awesome. And then, then the director goes, well, you do know how to roller skate, right? And apparently, you know, I don't know how I missed it, but I guess um, there was a line in the audition thing that, like, you, you were supposed to know how to roller skate. I was like, sure, because, you know, like, I was this close to my dream of being on Broadway. And I was like, okay, of course I do. And, look, I didn't quite lie because um, inline skating, right? I, I grew up in Russia, and in the winter we have, you know, winter skates, like the, the, the you know, skates that are in line. And so I figured, you know, and I've once or twice I have done the inline skating, roller skating, right? Like where the four wheels are in line. And that I could do perfectly well, fine, you know? Because I grew up doing that. So I was like, fine, sure. Well, it turns out it's the four wheel roller skates, the ones that are, you know, the, the, the roller disco kind of roller skates, like the ones that, that actually form a square. Um, oh my God. So like, okay. And so I, 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 I didn't think much of it. I went to Paragon Sports. I got myself a thing. I still have those roller skates for the Sergei Gordeyev Museum. You know, they're there. I, I, did, I purposefully did not get rid of them to remind myself what happens when you lie. Never lie. Anyway, even, even a little. Uh, so uh, I, I put on the roller skates. I was so arrogant. I didn't even like think of like actually giving it a go. I was like, sure, it's fine. Whatever. So I come to the audition. Now at that point, like 10 people, it's like a picture like Last Supper, right? Like 10 people are sitting there like at the long table. And she, I could see the director going like, oh my God, he's great. Like, just watch. And so they turn on the music and it starts pumping. And I'm like, um, and I, and I'm at that point, I'm like, put on my roller skates and I, and I roll out and I'm like, oh, I'll just do my moves. And all off a sudden, I realized that, that, that there's no earth under me. Like, like this, like, it's like, imagine earth spinning and, and you don't know where you are. I lose my complete orientation in space. It's just <laughs> terrifying when you, when you, when you understand that you have zero control over what's going on. And I was like, you know, but the thing that they teach actors always is commit. 
commit, 100% commit. Whatever you do, make it a strong choice. So I decided I'm just gonna dance. I'm gonna dance. And I'm like dancing. And of course, like the wheels get, do this, you know, under me. And I start, at, at like a slow motion, I start losing my balance. And like, like in that, in those movies in slow motion, I slowly just kind of like ugly fall, like with confusion and fear and desperation <laughs> in my face. And I'm watching their faces and they're like, oh yeah, like they're into it. And then they're like, how like that changes into this like look of horror, like of like what the hell is going on? And I'm like, and I'm planting my face on this like dance floor. And I'm at, at that point, I did not stop. I did not stop. I said, you got to commit. I said, strong choices, Sergey. Anyway, so I am trying to get up. I'm like, my ass is up in the air. I'm like clawing at the dance floor, trying to somehow regain my footing. I'm like, there's like, oons, oons, oons. I am trying to, like, oh my God, I'm like sweating just thinking about it. This is so deep, deep <laughs> shame. Deep shame. About, yeah, me too, man. Anyway, so at that point, I'm God, like trying to, to claw my way up. And, um, and it's horrible. And I'm I, the, the longer it goes on, the longer every, like everybody's like trying, grabbing each other in disbelief. They're like, "What the hell is going on?" And and so, and I'm trying to like as I'm like trying to get up and I can't. I try to like actually gyrate to the music and and they're like, "Oh my god!" And finally, like like they turn off the music and in silence, I crawl off <laughs> and, then, and I just run away. It was the most shameful, embarrassing like moment in my life. I think. Although there were a few runner-ups. Uh, <laughs> okay. Woo. Those are the best. Okay. Lesson learned. Never lie. Let's move on <laughs> to the next one. Yep. Favorite broadcast host on TV right now and why? Other than yourself, because we know you do that too. I happen to love um, Oprah. Uh, she does an amazing series, Super Soul Sunday. She speaks with thought leaders and spiritual leaders and People who are truly in the position to change the global consciousness, you know, like Eckhart Tolle, like Deepak Chopra, like like people who truly dive in. I love what she's doing with Super Soul Sunday. I love Brene Brown, who uh, broadcasts on the internet. She uh, wrote the book The Gifts of Imperfection. Her TED talk about vulnerability. She's just shame, <laughs> shame, uh, and vulnerability expert. I love her, and I really recommend it to everybody. And I, I like Ian Van Zant because she actually is a soul healer and it's it's a way of life coaching that's totally different from like you know serious life coaches that are there but it's so effective i love her so those are three that i truly respect beautiful if you could go back in history and get drunk or high with anyone who would it be and why oh my gosh um you know honestly i i've always been fascinated with genius just as a phenomenon Right, and so people too. who I would consider, you know, there's obviously Einstein, genius. There is obviously like Tchaikovsky, musical genius, or Mozart. Right, uh, there, there, there are scientist geniuses. So those are two that, that just jumped out at me. So either one of those, I would just like because dr- drinking or being high is an expansion of consciousness, and those are pretty amazing you know, worlds to begin with. And like when that expands, I would just love that. Like to be, get high with like Einstein, that would be cool. Just break the wall down and just yeah. what what is he really like yeah, behind like, that? Well, not even like was it you know, because like we can talk about you know self and what are you as a self right like what do you really like? I mean that you're many things 
you're actually, I, 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 you know, let's make a note to talk about that, how we really are a bunch of roommates living in an apartment. That's what we truly are, and we can talk about them. It's really important stuff that I realized about the self, right? Um, self-awareness powers everything I do, everything I work with, you know, my work in communication as a journalist, as a, you know, person, you know, in life. I, self-awareness is key to productivity. This, this podcast is called Call to Action. You know, when you, when you do action, you know, you have to know which parts of yourself you're feeding or you're engaging or, you know, you're reacting to or are, which parts of you are reacting to whatever you're doing or not doing, right? So study of self, no matter what you do, is an extraordinarily important thing, you know, to, to, to engage in if you're going to be successful. Uh, and all successful people do it uh, in their way. So um, it's not like the real self versus not real self. It's like the many facets of self that unfold endlessly and in a fascinating way. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and we're feeling this now. Being one of our first truly remote, this is over Skype given the times, you know, uh, where it's definitely the vibes you're sending off there. You know, we're getting them. We're getting them across the inner weasel. Also, being where you are, in you know New York City, and, and you guys, uh, you know, c- certainly are, are the most affected in this country. Uh, is this your fir- first career quarantine? Well, um, yes. Uh, it's. I'm trying to think. Well, there was a blackout, but that that was totally different. Like that was more like a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in New York, there was a big blackout. <laughs> yeah, a little different. That was different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the first time I've actually been um, sequestered and like. To the point, you know, honestly, I feel like I should start a podcast called The Gifts of Corona because, like, you know, for <laughs> as horrible as this time is, you know, it's, give, it's bringing us gifts, right? Like, to come back to, you know, how we start our morning, how the morning is a gift and anything that happens already is a bonus, right? Like, we woke up, it's a gift. So, The Gifts of Corona, we're realizing, you know, we're all st- imprisoned in our homes, right? And we're realizing just how precious simple things like being able to walk outside are things that we take for granted, like a hug. You know, like I was actually (laughs) on Russian television this morning saying, you know, jokingly that, um, you know, there were memes on the internet how now, you know, people are so deprived of physical contact that porn sites, instead of like porn, put on like pictures of friends hugging, you know, (laughs) because that's what gets people off, not like actual like sex. (laughs) Because people are so longing for just a friendly hug. The things that we don't, think about but now that we're deprived of it like we're we're like whoa like i haven't touched a person in a month it is you know i, I live by myself you know and and a lot of new yorkers do too and so um you you you're distancing and an exchange of energy will again well i hope we talk about that how energy is a part of everything we do it's certainly a part of my professional life and personal life so exchange of energy between people is hugely important and and touch between people is hugely important and um so now we're you know kind of in this time weird time when we're encased you know with ourselves and uh, we can't touch each other you know and it's and it's it's strange it's strange but it's also the gifts of corona you know the entire it's like the entire like world humanity has been grounded like you're grounded and you sit there and you think about your bad behavior you know like you you're um true we're almost like not asked i was gonna say we're asked we're forced to sit by ourselves and stare at ourselves and look inward and 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 kind of come face to face or 
you know, soul to soul with ourselves. And that's huge. That's what's happening, you know, like Eckhart Tolle, he, he's, um, he wrote a couple of really good books, The Power of Now and uh, A New Earth, which uh, was just re-released. Oprah did a wonderful thing. I recommend it to everybody uh, on her podcast. Um, there are 10 chapters and she, she did 10 conversations with Eckhart, you know, per, you know to, to talk about each chapter in A New Earth. And he talks about this thing where right now we are as humanity at this point where we're, you know, where the only two possibilities are either mass enlightenment or mass destruction. You know, we, we either are going to enlighten en masse or we're going to self-destruct en masse because that is how far we've gone in the way we have been doing things. And so um, the whole pandemic situation where everybody's forced to stop and think and just listen, right? Like, that's kind of what's happening, like mass enlightenment. Absolutely. So because you're a communications expert, what is your biggest pet peeve people do when they write or speak that drives you nuts? What drives me absolutely nuts is when people speak without even giving themselves the trouble of trying to understand what is it that they're trying to say. When people speak just for speaking's sake. When, when, when you're in an act of communication is a partnership. It's, it's, it's a process in which you engage. It's like you're basically, you know, we're here in this body this time around for a very limited time, right? Like, so seconds and moments and minutes are precious. So if I engage you in an act of communication, like right now, we, we three are engaging in an act of communication, you know, with each other and as a unit with the outside world, right? So what we're doing is we're telling people, <coughs> sorry, we're telling people this is worth their time. And then if it's not worth their time, if we don't know what we're trying to say, if we just blab for blabbing's sake, right? Like that's annoying <laughs> Then we've actually claimed somebody's time. We said, hey, uh, give me some of your time. I, I promise it'll be worth it. And then it's not, right? <laughs> if, if you don't know what you're trying to say. Like so, so in communication, the most important thing is to know what is it that you're trying to say before you try to say it. I think. Totally fair. You know, and we're certainly all feeling it. You're very deep kind of spirituality through all these questions. Let's just hop back up onto the surface real quickly. If you were to jump on air at the last second and you had only time to fix one thing, would it be messy hair, spinach in your teeth, or a stained and wrinkled t-shirt? All three are really not, not good. <laughs> you have to choose one and one only. Listen, oh, um, I know you have. An I answer. think the spinach in the teeth. Honestly, I'm, again, as a communications expert, I teach actually communication, and what I what I teach is that there are things that help communication and things that are that impede communication, right? So th that stand in the way of a clear delivery of your message. So so as you're trying to communicate, what you want to do is is be the least in the way of your communicative effort, right? So like, I was just thinking, what would distract me most if I were looking at somebody on TV, right? Like, okay, their messy hair, their t-shirt, like definitely the spinach in the teeth is like, <laughs> I'd be like, that That would be, you know, and like all I would see is that spinach. I would not even like hear that person. What's, what's the weirdest place you've meditated? Wow, I've meditated on planes, I've meditated in bathrooms, like mid, bathroom activity i've meditated um i've meditated you know i've practiced meditative living I've, I've, I've literally like meditated through sex like in a really good way um i've meditated um but like sit down and you need, meditate. you need to teach me some of those techniques oh my god 
it's next level stuff. I'm just, you know, well, it's a whole separate a podcast. Like, what, what do you, how do you do that? How do you even get to that point? Listen, it's called mindful living, right? And we're not saying like, okay, let's just like stop what we're doing and like time out, we're meditating. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about layering that onto what you're doing, right? Like when you're, let's take eating. If you're, you know, I'm a foodie. I'm an, an, an some, and in general, like sensations are such a gift, right? Like, so sometimes I'll be swimming around, like I like to go naked in the like naturist beaches, right? And I love how the warm, like in Caribbean waters, like a, in, in Miami, there is a hollow beach that's just like nude, right? And so when, when the water is super warm and soft and it's not like, it's just kind of like, just like this and you're you're gliding through it and you just feel like a thousand puppies are licking you all over and it's so pleasant it's like oh my god i'm thinking this is gonna be so awful like to not have that like i was like at some point i'll die and i won't have this body and and i'll miss this i'm like oh this is so good right so that's meditation that's mindful when you're not thinking about anything else while you're doing something when you're so engaged in that moment that it multiplies by a thousand when i gotcha <clears throat> when I have food, I love good food, right? So the other day, I was just craving something special. So I did this, salivating right now, just talking about it. Like I did this, these scallops, right? And so I, butter, like this, this really oh, good yeah. butter. And and I, I, I know there were fresh, fresh, fresh base scallops. And, and I peppered them like with fresh ground pepper and salt. And I just, I, I had, the, the skillet was just like really hot. And I seared them, I threw them in like, psh, and I, I like rolled them around, rolled them around, and like pepper and salt, and 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 then butter, and they and they made that sound. And I just put them out on the plate, and and there's steam was coming off them. And I just I put one in my mouth, and I was like, I'm in heaven. I cannot even like that was just ah, uh, it just washed all over me. And 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 so I, I wasn't like checking my phone while I was eating. I wasn't on the phone with somebody while I was eating. You know, I wasn't. I was just Certainly eating. Not. I was eating. And all my neurons were firing. Oh my God, this is divine, right? Well, and during sex, you just, you can complete that, you know, analogy <laughs> to, to what you might do during sex. Just like be there Beautiful. and so there that it's next level. Wow, you might want to check your door real quickly. Some of our listeners might be waiting. <laughs> Maybe at your for front a door. Taste of those scallops. <laughs> Listen. Listen. All right, fired off. We got a few more. Let's uh, rock through them. If you could be an inanimate, an inanimate object for a day, what would it be and why? I would want to be my Christmas tree, uh, which um, <laughs> I love. We decorate it um, in December, and it's in my apartment until June. All my friends come over, and we put uh, decorations on it. I feel like they're putting their love on it, and I, I, I just love it. So I think it's the most loved tree in the universe. I would love to be it. Have you ever knocked someone out with a limb while dancing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, I have. And I went down with them. I literally... I mean, it was it was at an Alvin Ailey gala, and this, one, this donor, this woman was just like out... Like she was like a loose cannon. She kept she like she she was not a petite lady, and she just like threw herself like like literally like, take a running start and you go. And I was trying to like you know be you know nice, dance with her, and quite literally in her huge gown, she like shot herself at me, and I was like just holding on to. We went down to get like it was not like. We went down, we went 
down on the floor with this high-level <laughs> donor. And, like, her, like, millionaire, like, husband watched me, like, kind of in the folds of her huge big gown <laughs> trying to crawl Hold out. Like, the real question is, did you close the deal? Did, did they still donate money? <laughs> um, let's just say they didn't take their donation away. It's, it's all good. It was understood that all was in good spirit. You know? That's all that matters. The intention. Good intentions. If coffee was an illegal drug, what would its underground name be? If coffee was an illegal drug, oh, I don't know. Whatever it would be, I would I would make sure to get it. I, mean, I, can't that. I, mean, like, I would find my dealers. Mm. Here's an odd question for you: If you could join the circus, what would you do? Ooh, that's a good one. Ah, uh, uh, you know what I love? I love making people laugh. Uh, I'd be a clown. Uh, because I think people who are serving at the altar of, like, laughter is a healing thing. It's, it's a miracle. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, it's not just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, it, it's an opening. So laughter is a sacred, healing, mysterious thing. And people who consciously or unconsciously, like, have power to make people laugh, that's amazing. It's amazing. I agree. What is the best book that you've recently read? You know, especially with quarantine, people staying at home now. Is there something that they probably ought to pick up immediately? You know, um, it's not the best book. You know, there are so many good books, it's hard to pick the best. But the last book, I just finished it two days ago, um, was Michelle Obama's Becoming. And I loved it. Okay. Loved it because, well, first of all, she is a real person who talks about her real journey and, and just... Uh, I listened to it, uh, I didn't read it, I listened to it, um, and speak. hearing her speak about what it means to unfold yourself, like, at, at, that's what we do throughout life, we peel back the layers of who we are as we understand, as we both grow and change and ripen, and, and so we, we get, we try to understand our deeper, truer self as that truer self is developing. And that's a lifelong process. And she's so good at just, in very plain language, describing like her life, but with that underlayer of, of that process. It's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. Just like athletes go back in the film room and study previous match, have you gone back to study an interview you've done and realize you just completely bombed it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I hope we're not doing that here now. Um, no. Uh, you know what I have learned, um, and I'll tell you the moments uh, for you as an interviewer. It'll be, and you, but you're already intuitively you're doing that. When you and, and Oprah talks about this when in her early in her career she was trying to be Barbara Walters, and then she, instead of Canada she said Canada, and then she chuckled, she just said Canada, and like everybody <laughs> commented on that, like because they saw the real Oprah, like a, an authentic self come through, you know. So she wasn't trying to be anybody else, and she's like, oh, I I cannot be Barbara Walters like I'd rather be exactly like, you know a really awesome Oprah than a second rate like imitation Barbara Walters so so the the moments when I went like oh cringed and was just like embarrassed you know is when I was trying to be somebody else like uh when I was trying to you know it was coming from a good place like I admire certain interviewers right so, but this is their mm. style this is them doing them this is their authentic self which is why millions and we among those millions love them Right, but 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 the best 
thing we can do as interviewers is be ourselves and people will be drawn to that. Uh, Oscar Wilde said, you know, um, really, uh, you should just be you because everyone else is already taken. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, be you. That's, that's, that's the best advice. And when I wasn't me, that's when I was really embarrassed and like oh, cringed. Here, here's one that, that we love a lot. And, and man, you're probably the best guest to answer this one. If you mm-hmm. could call yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give to yourself? And secondly, if you could call yourself again 10 years in the future, what would you want to ask yourself? 10 years ago, um, I was actually um, reaching sort of like my own version of midlife crisis. And um, I was a successful publicist in New York at that point. And I was like, is that all there is? And it was a kind of a like a disassembly. I fell apart and reassembled myself. And uh, the reassembled me decided to apply to Columbia Journalism School. And I changed my career in, you know, entirely. I, I used all my savings and all my mom's savings to basically, you know, it's, it's $100,000, you know, to, to go to Columbia uh, for, for a master's degree, right? Uh, well, because, you know, it's about 60 to like pay for one year's tuition and, and it takes like at least 40 to survive in New York and you can't work and do anything else while you're doing it if you're doing it full time. It was like probably the hardest year of my life academically. You know, it was really tough to get in. It was really tough to, you know, um, to make it through. And um, anyway, I just feel like 10 years ago when I was doing that, I think what I would have said to myself back then is like, just chill. Like, you know, now I'm much more spiritual now than I was then. And I trust that whatever happens will happen for the best. And I would, I would not have fretted so much. I would not have worried so much. I would not have wasted so many brain cells and, and ner- burned through so many nervous endings and synapses just like really, really being upset and worried and hoping and stressed and all that stuff. Now I know. I just trust the flow. Whatever happens is meant to happen. Whatever doesn't happen, you know, is not meant to happen. It was not yours to begin with, right? And so um, I kind of like when I got in, it was also a cool story because I... Um, I fell apart at Christmas 2010, right? I, I just was like, I was like, this is not, I'm, I'm not, this is not the truth of how I am. Like, this is not all I'm meant to do. Something else, but what is it? I'm like, oh, I want to tell stories. What, what, who inspires me? Oprah inspires me. What is Oprah? She's a broadcast journalist. Oh, broadcast journalism. That's, that's what I want to do. And I was like, well, to do anything in life, you have to have life experience and you have to have education. Life experience I had, but specific journalism education I didn't have. I was like, oh, I should go to a journalism school. And then slowly I was like, oh, Wow, I live next to the world's best journalism school. I live right next to Columbia. And I was like, okay. And so this was on Christmas, right? And this was, I looked up, you know, the application um, requirements and I pa- I missed the deadline. It was on, 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 on December 15 at that point. So I called, um, they were closed, of course. You know, so I was like, okay, I'm going to apply anyway. I'm going to apply online and I'm going to, like, there was a whole bunch of, essays and things and things to fill out and financial information and tax returns and transcript from my uh, university in Texas. I went to Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, and I was like, everybody was closed. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply. And I decided that I was at least going to apply within the calendar year, you know, so we had like seven days remaining in 2010. So I wanted to at least apply within the same year as the deadline that I just missed. (laughs) So in that one week, I wrote all the essays. I pulled all the materials. I actually even called Southwestern after like all these years. And it just so happened that the registrar, whom I knew, I was friends with the registrar, you know, I called the registrar's office. 
he picks up and we're like, well, is George Brightwell there? And he's like, no, George is not there. I'm the new registrar. It just so happened that the new registrar, on a break, randomly walked into the office to pick up a paper or something that he forgot. At that point, my telephone rang. He decided to pick it up. He's like, odd, but who is calling? I'll pick it up. And that was me on the phone. And I said, look, I need you to email me my transcript right now. And he's like, well, can't you wait? And I was like, no, you, no you've got to help me. And so he did, right? So magically, it all assembled and I got all my stuff in. I still have a screenshot of like December 31st, 10.30 p.m. uploading my, you know, your application is complete. I have that screenshot. You know, so back then I already was having inklings of like, if it's meant to happen, it'll be a flow. It'll, it'll, it'll help you, right? And so trusting that would have, if I trusted that more and, and knew that like I know it now, I would have worried so much less. And also an inkling of be yourself. First day orientation at Columbia. Um, all the students are asked to stand up. All the professors are there, right? So people who will literally be giving you or not giving you a degree, people who will be teaching you, and, and all of them are working, by the way, so potentially who will be giving you your first jobs, they're there. Everybody's trying to impress them, right? So everybody's standing up, and you're supposed to stand up and introduce yourself to your classmates and to the professors, um, esteemed professor of, uh, of Columbia, and you're supposed to say what it is that you're hoping to do. So everybody, like 17 people before me stood up and said, um, oh, I want to be a war correspondent. I want to go into the field and report on the human trauma. Um, and like everybody like st- stands up and says that. And, uh, and, and by the way, everybody, like when I got in, it was a whole you know, separate thing. For three months, I was visualizing how I was you know, um, going. Um, I live near it, so every time I would, I live in the next subway stop, so every time I passed it, I would just visualize myself like actually walking up the steps and going to class for three months until I got a notification that I got in. But anyway, so um, I got up, and, and people told me, no matter what you say, now Oprah's cool, back then she wasn't. Like, it was, she was not a real journalist. So they're like, whatever you do, do not even mention the O word, right? So 17 people before me stand up and before all the faculty say, oh, you know, I want to be a war correspondent. I stand up and I'm thinking, without even thinking anything, I blurt out, I say, well, I, I hope you guys don't have a job. Not because I don't want you to have a job, but I hope that there is no war for you to correspond on. I said, I, I want to be a peace correspondent. I said, I want to be a journalist of the soul. I said, my beat is my heartbeat. I love what Oprah is doing and I want to be the next Oprah, said I. Everybody erupted in a standing ovation because all these people, and, and it just came out of me, right? And guess what? At that point, I was like, oh, shit, you know, I wasn't supposed to say the O word. And now they're all thinking I'm some sort of a goofy, you know, Oprah fan. But then the, ne- the very next thing, like it's we, we maybe we, we can talk about listening uh, later in the podcast, but listening is super important. At that very moment, a voice came through and said, you know what? If at that moment they don't want you, you don't want them. If your true authentic self is something that's not acceptable to this group of people, then this group of people is not what will be serving you in your, right? in your growth process. Anyway, so um, 10 years ago, I would have said, don't worry, the universe has got your back. Just, just flow. What about 10 years in the future? 10 years in the future, uh, the question was, what would, I, what would I say to myself or yes. would I ask? What would you ask well, I'm a nosy bitch. I like I would ask like what <laughs> what will happen so I can prepare and like you know just um, 
you know, I would, I would, I would want to know what's, what's, what's up, like, so that I can like optimize my time and, um, you know, not worry about things or not like, if I know that will be happening, I'll like kind of pr pr prepare for that a little better, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a deep thought, right? So, yeah. so much can come from that. Congratulations, my man. Uh, do it? That is the brain freeze frenzy. You've crushed it. We really appreciate all your uh, your answers and kind of diving into that. I want to keep the flow moving, moving though, because uh, you're just you're in it, you're in the zone. I want to keep that that firing. So, can you kind of give us a brief introduction to maybe transitioning from growing up in Russia to coming to the United States, and then how your passion in communication and just being a true lover of of people's stories and bringing that out of them uh to light can you can you walk us through that timeline quickly and then we'll yeah. jump into kind of your first jobs as a you know news anchor and and reporter and hosting shows and then get into the the gamut of it yeah like so my life from the very beginning has been about connecting, communication, peacemaking, really, you know, because even like my mom uh, is an amazing kick-ass businesswoman. She um, headed uh, the Moscow office of the Antonov Design Bureau. So it's like, it's, it's an aircraft design bureau. So the founder of this, um, you know, huge aircraft sort of conglomerate, like design conglomerate, chose my mom out of like 14,000 men. He's like, well, this woman is the only one who can do this. So, and my mom was actually um, dispatched from Kiev where, you know, this was, um, they were based uh, and she was going to, uh, she was sent to open the Moscow office and my dad was actually her chauffeur. That's how they met. So, uh, my mom was 30, wow. my dad was 18. Uh, he was driving her around in Moscow and that's, that was the deal. Like, that's how they met. And so, um, you know, so she's always been this really driven, awesome woman ahead of her times and, you know, so when I was born, she was like, okay, you know, whatever, like kindergarten, whatever it is, like wherever, wherever the babies go, you know, <laughs> she like, she went to work. She was on her way to work when she was like giving birth to me. She was like, I guess I'm giving birth. Okay. Turn the car left, you know, whatever. <laughs> We're going to go <laughs> give birth to baby now, you know, whatever. And so like, since I was, you know, whatever, three months old, you know, they, they put in Russian uh, facilities, there would be like 50 babies and two uh, women taking care of them. And the babies would sit in these uh, rubber um, little inflatable tubes, like these little, whatever, like, and the babies kind of sit like this because the babies can't sit by themselves. So they sit in these like rings and in these inflated rubber rings. And I would just sit there in my rings and I would just like smile. I'd be like, I could care less about all the babies, you know, like shitting themselves and crying and <laughs> snotting and like not knowing what to do and like wreaking havoc. I was like, la, la, la. And these women who were supposed to be taking care of us, actually, they ran to me to like, you know, to hug and hold me just to like de-stress. So I was like, actually using my nonverbal communication like since three months old you, you know have day memories one of this like living memories where you know if you really want to reach back like you can you know it's again it's weird but i i really feel like I'm, i was just wired for communication and expression i distinctly remember and i couldn't have been i, I must have been less than one and and my mom had this like stroller kind of like this bed on wheels you know the kind of like you know she she pushed it forward and i had a brother um two and a half years older so at that point he was he must have been about like three or four and he like mom you know was i remember i was in the thing i just distinctly remember lying in the thing and i remember she's pushing me you know i, I realized she's mom she's doing that and then um 
my brother, like, when she turned away, he started climbing into my thing, into my little crib, you know, like, climbing into it. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, like, does he not know you can't sit on a baby? He's going to break my legs. I'm like, why is mom not watching? <laughs> I remember actually thinking that. And I remember, like, the trees. I remember the it was outside the entrance to our building. I just remember exactly where it was and how it was. And the mom was, like, her back. And he was climbing in. And I was like, ah. <laughs> That's my earliest memory. Wow. wow, that's extraordinary. It should be more ordinary, although I feel like a lot of people can't recall that quite far back in their own life. But look, you know, my point is that from an early, early age, that is somehow what I ended up doing, right? And, you know, look, my dad was an alcoholic, so it, I had a somewhat um, tumultuous um, childhood because, you know, sometimes he'd come... and. P.S. He was a brilliant pilot, you know, because he started off as my mom's driver, but then he dreamed of becoming a pilot. He wanted to 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 fly, and then he went to school. So she basically, my mom raised like three men, you know, my my father, my, my brother, and me by herself. She's truly an extraordinary woman. Anyway, so he went off, uh, studied, went, you know, got his you know college degree, and got, went to pilot school. Became an awesome pilot. Never drank while he flew, but. One of the things he did when, we, when he wasn't in between the flights, you know, to, to take, I guess, the stress out, whatever, he was just a drunk and a mean drunk. And, you know, and I learned mm. early on that if you, you know, say the right thing, if, if when he starts picking on you, when he starts like really just turning nasty, you just, you can somehow, like in judo, I think, you use the force that's coming at you to turn it into something else, right? You don't oppose it, you, you take it in and, and you transform it into something else. So I knew, like, if you take some words and if you put them in different context, they don't hurt so much and so there's less a possibility of a fight. If you just kind of smile and do this and that, like, he might be mean, but then he'll laugh or he'll engage in conversation and be distracted. So early on, like, my, again, turning things into gifts, you know, some, like my brother, for example, like, we were in the same environment. He didn't grew up like that, but I did, right? So so I used that even subconsciously. At, at like the age of eight, I was reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, not because I was interested in the, you know, um, communication, but it was just like my survival manual, right? Like, so it was a hard childhood in some ways. It was beautiful, magical childhood. It was amazing, but it also had this component, right? So um, early on, I just learned of the power of words, power of body language, power of energy, and subconsciously and consciously, I was using it to survive because violence scared me when he would, you know, like pick physical fights with my mom. Like that truly scared me. And I learned what to say and what to do to kind of dissolve that, right? So anyway, um, always loved music, always loved um, dancing, always loved languages, you know. And when I was 12, I... I had a whole bunch of Elvis tapes which I was obsessed with and I needed to know what he was singing about. So I was like, Mom, I want to study English. And she's like, are you serious about that? Because, you know, if you're not serious, she just couldn't be bothered. I'm like, yes, I am. So she goes to Moscow State University, which is the top university in Russia. She arranges for me to go to the evening classes uh, three times a week from 7 to 10, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, So for two years, I was actually taking a college-level English course. And somewhere a few months into it, I got so obsessed with the English language itself. I forgot all about Elvis. Like, all that, like, was just gone. You know, I I was just fascinated with the music of the words. Like, how, again, 
if you use a certain com- word or a combination of words, how it just affects you in a real tangible way. And I, um, it, it was music to me. It really was. And, and so I would like live at the library of foreign languages and we had these, you know, tape, not, not the tapes, but these like whatever rolls of with the magnetic tape where you just put that on and they had this really outdated equipment and you just put that on, put your, you know, uh, <laughs> headphones on and I would just listen to CNN, to, to uh, NPR, to just all these different things that they had in the library. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, anyway, at 14 I was working as an interpreter in Moscow and my first job was uh, European Nuclear Disarmament Convention and um, in Moscow. Uh, and so one of the people who attended the conference um, came with a son my age. I was uh, 14 at the time. There was a floating conference. They got on a boat between Moscow to St. Petersburg. They flowed up the rivers for two weeks. And we became really friendly with that family. And that family was like, oh, you know, um, why don't you... Uh, come to Texas as a exchange student. I was like, well, that would be really cool. And I, what did I know as a 14 and 15 year old? I was like, well, that's, you know, I want to see this beautiful land where people speak this language that I so love. And, you know, I was like, I, I didn't really give it thought. Again, retrospectively, looking back at it, it, it was just the flow of the river of my life. And I just thoughtlessly, but but thoughtfully gave into it. So like I, I went and so I came to Texas and then I, um, can I put a pause real quick? I have a quick question. Yeah. Was your perspective of the United States being in Russia? What was that like? Uh, you know, you hear about the land of opportunity or this or that. And usually a significant percentage of people that do that. Cause I've, being American, I've moved and lived in other countries as well, and I've had a perception, and it's been completely different. I'm wondering if you had the similar experience. Listen, I grew up in the Soviet Union, right? So, so America was our Cold War enemy, and uh, I actually remember, and 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 you, you know, you watch the news, and I just like, I remember Reagan, uh, like I was a child, I, even as a child, I didn't know who this Reagan person was, but I knew that he was mean, and he wanted atomic war and I literally and, and, and if there is atomic war they would show the nuclear mushrooms and they would have these drills in the schools right like where you'd go under the desk as if that would like save you from an atomic bomb <laughs> you know we, we yeah. had those drills like you go under the desk that's what happens and then you'll be fine anyway so like I remember going to bed as a little child and looking outside the window in my little room where I grew up and just kind of hoping, I hope Reagan doesn't start a nuclear war so we don't, don't die. I remember actually thinking that, like as wow. a little child. And so I'm like, wow. You know, uh, then of course America was cool. Everybody wanted to be American and do things that are American. And like the, when um, the first flights, you know, the Iron Curtain was lifted and the first flights were, were going between Russia and, uh, and New York and they would show like how you would fly right over the Statue of Liberty and it was just so cool and so dynamic and so exciting and wonderful and you know imagine me after seeing all that like arriving to a small Texas town you know where, where you got like you know a couple of streets and, and and a lovely family they were wonderful you know but I just like I, I had no idea like it was an adjustment how to live in a small town like that you know Again, the gifts, how do you turn that into a gift? You know, um, I learned introspection. I learned how to deal, how to be alone and not feel lonely, you know? Mm. Uh, I learned how to be 
good company for yourself. So you move from Russia, you come to the United States, you land in Texas in high school. What was the journey from high school to college? What did that look like? Well, I actually broke my hip skiing and that is how I stayed because um, I, you know, wasn't planning on it. After a year in high school, I was going to go back and go to Moscow State University. But then the family I was staying at kindly took me skiing and the second day I break my hip. So I have to actually, at this point, uh, I'm stuck for a year and a half while the bones grow together and then they unscrew all the screws and that then you're fine uh, but for that year and a half I couldn't go anywhere so I was like well since I'm stuck here anyway I'm gonna apply to some colleges so I applied to Southwestern University among a few other colleges and Southwestern gave me full scholarship because they were looking for an international student so at that point um, you know they, they wanted international students I had good grades they offered me full ride so I was like okay great I'll, I'll go to school for free I mean I still oh, heck to- yeah I still had to work because I had three jobs actually. I was working uh, as a um, library assistant, I was working as a computer um, uh, lab assistant, and I was teaching Russian. I was an assistant professor of Russian. So, so to just pay my. Uh, and I managed the house because I had a, you know, the family actually bought a house, you know, with several units in it. And so I was kind of like living there for free while, you know, in exchange for managing the house. So I had like four jobs actually That's awesome. in college. And um, so then part of that was that four-year college experience, which was amazing, um, uh, really helped me grow into who I am. Um, a semester in New York, uh, an internship where you, for, for one semester, you work in your field and that's how you, um, you know, you get academic credit for it. And at that point, I was working at Jazz at Lincoln Center uh, in their marketing department um, because, at, uh, you know, my, my major by that point was communication. I, I chose that because that's that's what I realized I love and so um once you go to New York for somebody like me who who I don't even know how to express my love for the city right um you just don't, don't go back so so the moment I landed in New York I felt it was home so uh, after that semester I went back finished out my degree I um came straight back to New York after I graduated and so my first job in New York was at Alvin Ailey American Dance theater because that was um it was advertised that you could take dance classes if you worked in the administrative offices except for Mm. i was working from nine to nine every day and so i didn't get to take the free dance classes and so after a while i figured you know if i really want to do this i gotta enroll in the school full-time so that's what i did and i started working as a publicist to support myself during that time so i was making phone calls pitching articles from the boys locker room while in between classes at the alvin ailey uh dance center school at that point um and so slowly i was gaining clients uh in as a publicist in new york um i kind of was this not i became i I was i was known i was known as the young up-and-coming publicist at that point uh running around with my little clamshell motorola StarTech phone was very cool. <laughs> anyway, the, the antenna, if it's you're not official until you snap that antenna. You're not up, right? official until you you engage your Motorola StarTech. Very cool. Anyway, and so um, at that point, yeah, like uh, so, I'm in my you know early twenties, just basically making a life for myself as a publicist, you know, um, and learning my love for communication and, and basically realizing that everything that has happened to me before led to this where I actually get to use it professionally because my profession was getting telling people how 
awesome a dance company is and why they would be fools not to write about it, right? Sharing my excitement about an art form I loved. You know, so, so if we're talking about like tips for success, one of the major things that, that I know um, everybody says, but it's actually true and, and it, everybody says it because it is true. You know, do what you love because if you don't love it, you will not be good at it, right? Like I was an awesome publicist and I still am. You know, I, I work with Youth America Grand Prix, uh, the world's largest ballet competition, which was uh, a client in 2000, you know, when it started and then it grew so big that I actually phased out all my other clients and then that became my only client. Um, wow. You know, that's, you know, uh, so, so I still am the director of uh, public communication and external affairs for Youth America Grand Prix and I'm on the board of directors of the competition. Um, but the point is this, I was good at what I was doing because I loved it. So if you do what you love, you will, you will first of all, not get tired doing it a lot because you do have to put in your 10,000 hours to get really good at something. B, you will, it will not feel like work to you. It'll feel like soul nourishing you know, activity that you'll, you'll grow leaps and bounds, right? So, and the energy, again, if we talk about the three channels of communication, words, body language, and energy, your energy will be that of excitement and people are drawn to excitement and excitement begets excitement and movement so call to action podcast right like how do you spring into action well excitement is the is if you will you know the the engine of action moving forward and without excitement without energy without something that makes you jump you know literally or figuratively you know there will be no action so so that's what I was doing, I was, I was telling people how much I loved, you know, my clients. And I would not take a client, and I really needed money. All I, rem- I remember being hungry and broke all the time. Like, and, and I wanted to sleep because I was working so much. So, so those are three things. <laughs> That's that, an important thing to have in your tool belt. It's a little sleep. Listen, uh, I was working so hard, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't getting enough sleep. Anyway, the point is that as broke as I was, and as much as I needed money at that point, you know, surviving in New York, it, it's a special thing, you know, to get to New York and to stay in New York. Yeah. It's super expensive. It's hard. It's rough. It's, it's not for the, you know, weak <laughs> willed and no, people who are not really driven, right? So to stay in the city takes a lot. So as much as I needed money, I would not take a client if I personally didn't love their work. I would just say I'm busy, whatever, even if I wasn't, because, you know, because you don't want to hurt their feelings. But, but the point is, if you personally can't get excited about something, you'll be lying trying to get others excited about it, right? As a communicator, publicist, whatever, right? So, so that was, I think, the secret. And I was a successful, um, you know, publicist at that point because everything I was doing, I was only doing things that I loved. So, so then uh, Youth America Grand Prix uh, grew larger. You know, it, it started as an American ballet competition. It's a scholarship competition for kids. Um, the idea is really simple. We go around the world. We, you know, there are all these kids trying to audition you know, to get into good schools. There are good schools auditioning talented kids because they really want talent for their school. And so you know, a lot of the time the connection is missed because the kids either don't have the money or they don't know or they can't go to every school in the world, right? And in the school can't go all around the world. Every school can't do that. So we're like, we'll go around the world. We'll pick the talent. We'll bring the talent to one spot. And then we'll bring the directors of all the others, you know, all the best schools in the world to that one spot. It'll be the world's largest dance audition. And it's just simple but brilliant, right? So it's it's super successful. It was growing. Um, and I was, you know, some 10 years into the competition, 
I was really just getting restless and I was like, is that all there is? And that's when I went to Columbia uh, Journalism School uh, and got my master's in, in, in broadcast and, and then I started my TV career. career. And um, I graduated in 2012 um, and right after graduation, I landed an on-air uh, news anchor job on a Russian channel, um, the largest of the three channels of broadcasting in New York. Uh, so I was on air in New York right out of school. So which, that was really cool. Again, why? Because I was doing something I deeply, passionately loved. And you know, at that point, I was it was kind of like a mid-career for me. So I was uh, an older student. So most kids were right after college, you know, mm-hmm. um, going straight to for their masters. I had you know some good ten years on them of work experience work experience and life experience right and my decision i wasn't like oh this is hard you know which some people were um i was like i fought for this i want this i'm using all my savings and all my mom's savings for this it's a conscious choice and i'm gonna supersize that choice to the maximum degree that i'm capable of right so i was grateful for every second of that experience and that was for me the hardest year of my life because you know of how much work you had to put in because really it's a two-year program that's compressed into one that that's kind of what it what it feels like and what it is and um it's just it's 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 demanding and so intense it's it's super intense it's super intense anyway so i i went through that loved it chose it for myself really took in the gift um then my first job in 2012 was as a news anchor um you know on russian uh ntv america it was a uh, russian speak russian language um news program that was broadcasting nationally in the united states uh so i did three newscasts throughout the day and one evening news program then i also had my own interview program uh called persona grata that's when they um uh, artists and celebrities would come, you know, to New York and I would interview them uh, and do what you guys are doing, which is like take people's stories and hope, hoped that in conversation and, and in revealing their stories, people who listen might get something that's that inspires them. Absolutely. That is such a true statement right there because it's kind of one reason why we started this podcast was because, you know, Keith and I are... We work long hours, you know, digits, code, design, you know, clients, but we listen to podcasts quite often in the background while we work. And as corny as it sounds, there's sometimes when you're listening to something that someone's saying and it's just the way that they say it, you've heard it. 10 times prior in your life, it never clicked. But the way that person said it in that moment, just something happens and it moves you. It it pushes you in a direction, like literally physically and mentally. And you kind of grow. You're like, wow, I didn't understand that perspective until this moment. I've heard it, but now it clicked. And that's kind of the reason why we're doing this podcast is that not only the name call to action is something technical in our world where it's a button you press on a website or a mobile app. It's, it's something that takes you to the next level. But the double entendre is that call to action in people's life. That's why we interview people such as yourself that have had this kind of really incredible story and have been successful. And it's not a journey that's just straight linear. It's this up and down path. But that call to action is something that whether someone says it, or or how you listen to it it's something that's going to move you to be better in life and that's exactly right you're you're spot on 
And that's what separates an excellent interviewer from an average one. Well, because an excellent interviewer does it with a purpose. Like I said, you know, in, in our beginning round, what's a pet peeve for me in communication when people are talking without realizing what they're doing and why they're doing it, right? So so a good interviewer like like you guys and like what I was trying to be is we 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 talk, we listen with with a clear intention that that whatever it is that, that this in this person's story that that helped them, hopefully it'll help others. Whatever it is that inspired that person or they realized or learned or understood in that moment of difficulty, perhaps somebody else is going through similar difficulty, maybe not the same circumstances, but the same exact you know challenge, right? like, trying to overcome it or, or deal with it or whatever. So maybe it'll help them, right? So a good interviewer listens for those nuggets that could be helpful to their audience, you know, in the stories of other humans. Humans get inspired by humans. That's what happens. And that's that's why I was drawn to it. That's why you guys are drawn to it. Because we're all, you know, and this is a little bit spiritual of myself, but we're, we're, we're a network of human forms connected to each other. We are. And we are here so that we can help each other grow. I, I firmly believe it. I fully believe it. I live my life um, with that intention that whatever, you know, I start, uh, I mentioned that I start my morning with four questions. You know, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom, right? With the with the, with the goal, with the hope, with the intention of somehow making this world a better place, making lives of other humans somehow better because of something I did, said, or, you know, whatever, uh, something that happened between me and them. Wow. Do you think that your journey, like in just taking a side note from, from the flow of where we are in your timeline, but do you think maybe like your yearning for being able to communicate with people and connect with them and things was almost like, in a, a, a you know, you don't have to answer this, but it's something that I personally experienced as well. Something similar to your background with your father, uh, just with my mother. But do you think it was something that you used as a gift that you naturally had to kind of connect with people and use it to to fill a void in a way that maybe you felt that a relationship you didn't have with your father that, okay, I couldn't have as good of one. Maybe you had a decent one, but you know, there's, there's that void when, when they're not the parent they're supposed to be right. At least, you know, in certain circumstances, you know, um, life and people in your life are a reflection of you in some way. So if, you are not able to connect, let's say, to your mother or to your father. Um, it's a part of you that you're, you may not be connecting with. And so when you're connecting to that part of you, when you forgive that part of you, that's when that finds its external reflection in your uh, relationship with other people. So, so maybe it's your own... It's an example. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know your issues, right? But, but let's say, as an example, if somebody has real issue with themselves, unable to manage their anger. So if mm. they themselves don't know how to manage their anger, then, then that will keep showing up externally in their relationships with other people. And until you yourself, looking inward, that's why meditation and self-awareness is key to, to any 
growth or success professionally or personally, you know, until you understand and introspect and welcome that part of you and, and try to connect to that part of you, it'll keep showing up in your relationships externally. You know, I forgave my father for the hurt that he has caused me and my brother and my mom and himself, you know, and the way I was able to do that is by forgiving the parts of me that have hurt other people, by understanding that sometimes good people, quote unquote, do bad things, quote unquote, because of whatever circumstances they're facing, because of not knowing any better, because of inability to, to understand just how much they're hurting themselves and others by doing A or B, right? So sometimes you, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you know, but but but. It's uh, you're reacting to a hurt that that was inflicted upon you, you know. So so there are different reasons why good people, quote unquote, do quote unquote bad things. So having, I truly forgave my father for everything, you know, for the suffering that he's caused to us by understanding and really taking ownership of the suffering that I have caused to others when I didn't know any better, when I was being selfish, when I was disregarding, and maybe I wasn't like physically abusing them, but maybe I was abusing them with my words. Maybe was I was abusing them with my inattention. Maybe I was abusing them by not listening to them when that's what they truly, really needed from me, right? right. Um, denying somebody the dignity of being heard can hurt somebody just as badly as attacking them you know and sometimes more you know so 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 it's it's by looking inwards and for forgiving those things for yourself that gives you an ability to um forgive others and and that's a powerful powerful thing and on that topic of being heard and not being heard this would be an excellent time in the dialogue to just chat with us a little bit right now about being a reporter and an interviewer. How did that get started? Does it kind of spawn out of the same sentiment of who ought to be heard and who ought to be listening? Yeah. In general, for a reporter, for an interviewer, for a communicator, the number one skill, the one skill that will basically make a difference between you being successful or not is the ability to listen, right? So, uh, and my particular, the reason I wanted to report on the human condition is because I'm endlessly fascinated with people. I'm fascinated with myself. I'm fascinated with the world inside. I'm fascinated with the world inside you guys. What makes us, you know, say the things we say? What makes us do the things we do? What parts of us react in what ways? It's a fascinating world that we are. I'm fascinated by it, right? Like endlessly curious. I, I study it with awe and fascination, right? And so so for me, reporting is something that is just a result of my interest. That's what's interesting to me. That's what I want to know more about. That's what I never get what I never get tired of studying and learning and understanding, right? So that um led to one one application of that is what I learn, I share. You know, so uh, for example when I was doing uh National Geographic, that was an interesting um, uh, gig. It was uh, actually what I got my Emmy uh, for, uh, for for that series that of reports. That beautiful piece of hardware right that there. That is a She's beautiful a piece gorgeous of hardware. Beast. She's so pretty. This, this b- beautiful uh, lady holding a world of, of 
you know. Endless possibilities. Endless possibilities, yes. Um, you know, look, so so when, when again, when, when you're passionate about something, then the opportunities to express that passion, if they're helpful to others, they find you. So, you know, one of the things, I love National Geographic. I love, you know, their fascination with the planet. And for 130 years, they've been, for, for 130 years, for more than a century, they've been bringing the beauty of, you know, this planet to humans who are fascinated with it, right? And so, um, what an interesting connection, how that happened in my life, that where I literally was just um, friends with a a fellow colleague at Columbia Journalism School. She uh, is an awesome reporter. You know, she later said to me, you know, you're one of the few people who were actually nice and kind to me. I think she said that I may have helped her with, um, you know, some project or or just even talk to her. I didn't even, like, think twice about it because I was like, here's a nice person. She seems like she could use a supporting sort of word or two in conversation. And I just made a point of, like, coming over to her, introducing myself, and we became kind of friends. And she later said to me that this helped her get through school because she was going through a really tough time. Anyway, so this person, this, this, these random acts of kindness and connection led to her, actually, when she was working on National Geographic, saying to her boss, the, 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 the guy who hires talent for National Geographic, saying, hey, Sergey is amazing. You know, I think he is. You really should meet him. So I, you know, she introduced me to the VP of talent at Nat Geo. I went for an information wow. interview and he, um, you know, we had a fabulous conversation he said to me look i don't have a job for you you're you're, you're awesome but like we, <laughs> we can't hire you because i don't have a job for you right now several months later cut to fifa world cup 2018 so um so i didn't know this but apparently soccer is the number one most watched uh single sport tournament on the planet like oh, billions absolutely of people i could have told you that by a long shot Billions of people stop their lives to watch men's World Cup. You know, to watch and women's now and women's. Let's and not women's, forget them right, now. But, they but, they but actually have more hardware than the men. Women are amazing in USA. But in general, like in terms of statistics, men's World Cup is the most watched thing on television. Yes. Period. Of period. Anything. Right. Like no pandemics question. and wars and elections and Olympics, all of that. Like <laughs> above no. that is the soccer world championship, right? And so uh, Fox Sports at that moment in time owned National Geographic. It was, it was one of their sort of subsidiaries. And so they paid an extraordinary amount of money uh, to be the sole signal. So they, they, they bought the rights to, to show FIFA World Cup in the United States. And they're like, well, you know, we've invested all this money into this thing. How can we make it interesting and how can we make some money you know, for us? How do we make it interesting for our viewers? How do we bring in other audiences? And they're like, oh, we own National Geographic. Why don't we, said Fox Sports very wisely, I love the way they were thinking because it was really, truly, you know, that's why the Emmy, right? Brilliant. We won the Emmy as Fox Sports team covering the World Cup. Why? Because they said, oh, there are 32 teams on the you know, pitch in the tournament, but the 33rd team is Russia itself, and nobody knows anything about it. So they spend endless hours covering the players, the teams, but the, the, one of the major players, the country where this is all happening, nobody knows anything about. So they turn to Nat Geo, and they, they go to Nat Geo, and they go, hey, who do you have on Russia? And like two sentences in, you know, the guy that I interviewed with, he's like, you gotta meet Sergey. So that's how I got that job. Like, just by, ultimately, by being kind to another human being. Right? So what's the lesson in that? Be kind. 
Don't worry about how it will return to you because that's not what it's about. Tune in next week for part two.